Let's go back and look some more at David's life. We're, I think we're gonna be in David's life for a good little bit. There, uh, the more I'm in it, the more I'm real. I was, gonna do, I was gonna share something that I will share next week and the Lord just had me marinating in something for today. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna talk about David's name for a minute. David, you know, we, the scripture has been transcribed. I've sought after myself a man after God's own heart. And we looked a little bit at that last week. And what we're really a better translation of a be is be a heart like God's. So God's looking around the earth. He's looking, who's got a heart just like mine? Who's got a heart that it's like he gets me? It's like, and, and we do use, that's a man after my own heart that way today, don't we? Like somebody does something like, you know, agrees with us about something. Oh, that's a man after my own heart. But it's much deeper than that with the Lord and what God was looking for in somebody who would represent his authority in the earth is a man after his own heart, someone with a heart just like his. How many of you here today represent God's authority in the earth? Are you afraid to raise your hands? Because when I do these little survey questions, it's a, sometimes a serious question. I wanna know, do I need to back up a step or two before I start, or are we ready to dive right in? So if, sincerely, how many of you already know that you do carry God's authority in the earth? Okay, that's a good enough show of hands that I'll just pick up, assuming you understand that. And I'll share a little bit in a moment what that means. But David's name, David's name literally means beloved. That, that's what David means. And by the way, biblical names are significant. When you find um, a, a name in the Bible, parents didn't just like go through a name book or pick a popular name for the day. It's funny, you can Google most popular names for different years. And I always feel bad if our kids have one that's on that list. Oh, man, I didn't name it because it was popular. My wife and I, for all six of our kids, all of, even a couple of the ones we've lost, have sought the Lord about what's that child's name because in the name is the destiny. In the name, it's supposed to be a prophetic description of what from the heart of that parent, from the heart of the mother and father, you believe that child's gonna be. Some names were given by angels. Jesus' name was given by the angel Gabriel. This is what you're gonna name him, why? Because that's gonna define him all of his days. And in biblical times, the name was in the original language. So if you called out to your friend David, like today we use a name like it's a, almost like a nickname. But if you called, if your friend's name was David, it would be like calling across the playground, hey, beloved, come on over here. Every, every time somebody would call out to you, that's how you got to know your identity. That's how you got to know a little bit of your prophetic call, a little bit of what your makeup was gonna be. So we aim to get it right. And uh, you know, I don't wanna put too much pressure on all you pregnant people out there, are moms and dads, but we ought to seek the Lord about the name. Now it's kinda like the sound of that. There should be something a little bit deeper than that. Anyway, so David, all of his life, would have uh, been called by this name, hey, beloved, and, and this, that's what his name means. Some of what, what the word beloved in the Hebrew language, and I, I encourage you, if you love studying the word, to at least get a couple of tools that you look at and you can kind of do a little bit of a word study in some of the Hebrew words, like look up words for love, look up the big ones, but David's name, the name beloved, we're the beloved of God and the bride of Christ. Again, we're looking at that on Wednesdays as we read through Ephesians. We're beloved of God. But it the picture of it is literally one who walks hand in hand with his beloved. That's like the word picture around the word beloved. Can I borrow you, Craig? Since you made me get up here earlier, I'm gonna make you get up with me earlier. Now, we're Westerners, right? So, you, I'll come down here. We can come, hold my hand. Come on down right here. 
Okay. We're Westerners. All right, let's walk together. We're well, I don't know. <laughs> we're just walking together because you're stuck with me now because we're hand in hand. Now, this is really awkward, right? All the men in this room are going, thank God he didn't call me to come down to the front because Western men do not walk holding hands with each other like this. It's awkward. It's, you know, you walk in, you know, now if my, I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. My wife's already like, don't you dare take me back with you. <laughs> you go. But we're walking together and we're hand in hand. This is, you know, men today, we just shake hands, right? When we're making an agreement or we're greeting each other we high five maybe we do a little you know man hug which is that <clears throat> chest bump kind of thing like that right and that's about as intimate as we get but this is the picture of beloved it means you and I are remaining in contact with each other so that we could walk together and you're not getting away from me I love you <laughs> that's the picture of beloved that's the picture of when Jesus calls us his beloved that's his intention I let Craig go too soon. What if we were walking together and he said, I'm tired of holding your hand right here. I'll never forget, by the way, the first time a man did that and held my hand, it was Moses. Krunka Moses Nimne in Liberia. And he really wanted to talk with me about something intense that was going on in his life. I think it was about 2009 or 11 or something. And, uh, you know, we'd talked and interacted before. I'd prayed for him. We'd had some ministry together. But this time he grabbed me by my hand and said, can we walk? And, and I knew, and I felt like immediately I had the sense of, wow, this is serious. And this man really wants to connect with me right now. Now I was fine for the first 30 seconds, but I'm going to tell you 15 minutes in. <laughs> so like, can we just talk like Americans now, you know, like turn and face me or something like that. But I want to tell you, the more we talked and we walked, and I, I don't know how long it was. It felt like five hours to me that we were holding hands. But, but by the end of it, I felt like our, we're talking about something. And he had a major decision to make at the time. But I felt like we'd connected at the heart. You know what I mean? Like in a deeper way. So that's what the name beloved and the picture of beloved is. We're holding hands and we're not letting go. Because we have this journey we have together. Can two walk together unless they're agreed, the prophet said. We're agreeing that we're walking together and this is what it's gonna look like. We're gonna hold hands even through the hard times, even through the times what we feel like, now I'm gonna go in any other direction but the one you're going on right now. You ever feel like that with God? The, I don't like the way you're taking me right now, so uh, I'll see you in a little bit. <laughs> no, nobody here says it out loud, right? But who doesn't do it? I know you don't do it because you stay home instead of gather with the saints. Some of you are at home right now. I'm looking at you. I can't see you through the camera lens right now, but you're staying at home because you're, you're a little bit like, I'm not sure I want to walk with God right now, and I love you enough to say, you should get your behind in here and gather with the saints. No, I'm sorry. Really, I love you. I love our online community. I love all of you who connect with us in any way. And I mean, obviously, if you, I know some of you are in Africa right now, wherever, and you're excused. <laughs> all right, from Sunday morning or any you're excused. I'm grateful that you join us online. I don't by any means want to drive anybody away if this is, you know, right now where you're at and you're connecting with God. But I don't want to urge you. There is something about being physically together that cannot be replaced by a podcast, by watching videos, by just checking in like that. There is something that happens when we're physically together. That's the picture of what beloved means. Hand in hand. So this week, you know, we're in uh, the series about David's life. And um, it's, you know, having his heart, carrying his heart. And, and this one today, I want to say this is what it looks like to walk hand in hand with God. How many of you have learned already that God's call in our lives is not meant to be carried out 
by us just kind of loosely connecting and hoping that he shows up from time to time. But every waking moment of every day from now and for the rest of our lives, we're hand in hand with him through everything. You may have noticed already, but the, the times in life that get the most difficult are the times we let go of his hand. And it's a beautiful picture because he doesn't grab us by the scruff of our neck after we're born again. My life would be a lot better if he would do it that way, I think. If you would just say, nah, man, I'm not letting you. But he, he lets us hold him by the hand, which we could just let go and say, okay. And he's, he's going to continue on the path. And he knows how to beckon us back onto the path with him. But he's got a direction for our lives. And when we walk hand in hand, it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's restful. Even when we're busy, it feels like rest in our spirit. Even when, you know, things get crazy around us, it feels like I'm, it's going to be okay. Something about holding his hand through it all that does that. So our call is a commission. And I, you know, we use this phrase, and it's true biblically, but I want to show you something. Oh, and by the way, you really should be taking notes during this series. I don't know how many of you keep a journal, how many of you what, but this is the kind of teaching what I'm going to walk us through as a church. If your intention is to be part of what God's building at Hillside, you need to have these things deep in your spirit or... Uh, would it be too strong for me to say you're not going to make it? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think that's too strong to say. There are some things that this house is called to, and the Lord has said through three different prophets, you're not called to build another nice church. So the, our destiny and our call is not just to be a gathering place where we could sing songs, hear a message, go home and feel good that we did our two hours of religious duty. We will never be that church. May over my dead body, maybe. But that's not what we're called to. I don't believe any church is called to that, by the way, but I only have influence here. But that's not the church we're gonna be. So if your intention is to say, I'm all in, I am here because God set me in as a member of the body, whether you're officially a member or not, I'm not talking about that, but this is where I'm getting rooted and established in love, and the fruit that I bear is gonna be for the glory of God together with the family of Hillside. I urge you, write some things down so that you don't just become a hearer of the word and not a doer. Okay, I'm gonna just stop right there. And by the way, one other thing we're doing. Pause for a commercial break. Um, this, this really came out of a conversation I had with a friend a few weeks ago. I said some things during a message and he was bothered by it. And thankfully, rather than leave the church, which is honestly what most people do in a church, right? I got offended with what somebody said or did, and so I'm just gonna leave without saying goodbye. And the American church, I think there's like a two to three year lifespan for the average saint in a church, in large part because of that. It's not that God doesn't move some you know, physically, doesn't move some in the heart. There are good reasons for moving from church to church, but um, where was I going with that? people who didn't leave he didn't leave he can't thank you he didn't leave he came back and he talked to me and he had some questions for me and just by that conversation I was able to clarify oh no no that's not what I meant by that no when I use that term it means this it was very helpful and helpful for his growth so we're going to do a podcast an extra podcast midweek would be about 15 20 minutes at most and it's going to be based on whatever questions we have after the message anything hey could you clarify this or or, hey, Blair, you did that Blair brain thing again and you made it halfway through a point and didn't finish it. Could you finish that point? I know it happens. Uh, that's Monday morning pastor right there. It's, oh man, I forgot to say the most important point. Sometimes like the title of the message, I don't even remember to say it. I understand, so, but that's very helpful. And that's like 
preach with me kind of stuff. You understand the nature of every anointing, whether it's a five-fold ministry anointing, a gift of exhortation, whatever the anointing is, it is both on the carrier of the anointing to impart, but it's also on those receiving to draw it out. Why do you think Jesus said, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward? You gotta receive that anointing, you gotta draw it out. And there is something of a drawing out. That's why it's a two-way street. Why I do, you know, I don't wanna thrive. I don't, honestly, in my deepest man, really don't care. If I, as long as I'm sharing what the Lord said, I'll go home in peace at the end of a Sunday. But I really like the interaction, and I like the amen, and I like the huh? Even that I love. You know what, there's one of the things I love about being in Africa, because if they're confused about something, they go, what did you mean by that? They're just saying it straight out, like sometimes while you're still preaching, which is awesome. Now I could clarify what I meant by that, and usually it's because I'm speaking too fast. You know, I, I can't understand their accent. Well, I, I, I speak with an accent in Liberia, right, James? I mean, my, I don't speak Liberian very well at all. <laughs> nah, I don't. <laughs> it's just, so, so anyway, you can, how we do it, Todd, you can, if you're on Facebook, you can write your questions in the comment section and the moderator will cut and paste those. And if you're here, you can email the info, you can email me, you can text me. Most all of you, are, everybody's a member of the church has my cell number. You can text me, email, however it is, get those questions in. Could you clarify what you meant by that? And uh, sometime midweek, I think we're aiming for Tuesday or Wednesday. Todd must be back in children's ministry. Did you see me looking for an anchor? I was looking for, oh man, I hope I don't mess this announcement up. Um, but yeah, so we'll do that midweek. And whoever's preaching, we're gonna ask them to do that. So all the guest ministries and others in house who preach. So anyway, our call is a co-mission. We're not stewards of this, but we also don't yet have full ownership so sometimes we say, you know, I don't really, God owns everything, right? Every, everything belongs to the Lord. I'm just a steward of those things. Is that biblically true? None of you wants to shake your head. <laughs> I don't do trick questions, I promise. Yes, the word says that. We are stewards. But are we just stewards? This is an important principle in studying the word. Sometimes we'll say, yeah, well, the Bible says, which, is, which could be true, and you quote a scripture, but then you ought to ask, what else does the Bible say? Because not just one scripture, the sum of thy word is truth, Psalm 119 says. All of it's true. So you might be able to pull a verse out and it says this, but what else does the scripture say on that subject? You might find that there's a lot more to it than that. And there is a lot more to, to it than the, of this thing of we're just stewards. So here's the truth. Let me just rattle off some scriptures for you. This is why it's good to take notes. Jesus came up to them and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me. To Jesus, so Jesus has all authority, right? All authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all authority is given to Jesus, and he's given us what we call the great co-mission. It's a good word. We're co-missioning with God. God's on a mission. If you're with us on Wednesday nights in Ephesians, you know what that mission is. And it's to gather everything back in Christ where it came from originally. That's his mission. We are co-missioning with Jesus. He didn't just say, okay, go get him, guys. He said, hand in hand. I'm still doing this thing that I started three and a half years ago. The book of Acts opens up. In my first treatise, O Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. How is he continuing to do and teach through the church? Not the acts of the apostles, the acts of all the saints. That's how he's doing it. So we're commissioning him with this. So 
Does the earth belong to the Lord or does the earth belong to us? Now that's a little bit of a trick question. The Lord, does it belong to us? Yes. We'll find as we study the word that there are so many things that we've made an either or out of where God said, no, it's both and more. It's not either or, it's both and more. That there's an understanding to be had through his word and through the spirit of God making the word alive to us. And this is one of those kind of things. So yeah, Jesus has all authority, but he did delegate it, didn't he? And for a purpose. So the, the, prophet, or the psalm says, the heavens are yours. Psalm 89, 11, the heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all it contains. So there's nothing missing. Everything's his, right? Because you have founded them. And that's true. It's also true that Jesus said, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So when Jesus gives, how many of you give gifts at Christmas time? You ever give a gift and then your kid's using it one day and you go, you know what, I gave that to you, but it's really mine. (laughs) I mean, I'll do that if it's a food gift. Like we have a, you got a 48 hour period of time to eat that thing and if it's still out, it's fair game. I mean, that's that's one of those unwritten rules in the player house, especially if I like it. So my kids hide their stuff. My wife hides things. I know where she hides things, but she hides stuff. It's all right. (laughs) At least I think I do. I don't know. She might be better than I realized. But anyway, Jesus said it's the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's not giving it, saying, but you can have it, but it's still mine. He wants to give us the kingdom. How does he do this? Well, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, how many sheep we got here today? (laughs) I still am. I might be a shepherd, but I'm a sheep first. I'm still following the good shepherd as much as anyone else. The the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. All of you parents, we all have a will, right? We all have an inheritance that we want to leave to our kids. Sometimes you, maybe you've been the recipient of an inheritance. Does the dead father say, well, that was your inheritance, but it really belongs to me. That, that's redonkulous. No, it's an inheritance. I got to keep that. That's for me to use. That's the whole point of it. So the earth is the Lord's, but we're going to inherit the kingdom. All right, so that's for some, some other day in the future. Maybe there's going to come a point in time that we in, inherit the kingdom and we're right now serving in it as, or, or are we just stewards or are we those that own it? Well, let's go on. Galatians reveals some things. Galatians uh, chapter four, one through six is a great section of scripture to understand this. Now it's talking about the Jews. It's talking about the Jews under the law of Moses that until the new covenant came, they needed the law of Moses and it was going to be their tutor their instructor to point them to Christ. It was going to be drawn parameters out. We looked at this a little bit on Wednesday in Ephesians class. Imagine if Jesus grew up in a pagan culture. If he were to grow up worshiping Apollos, would have been the God. None of the gospel makes sense. The context for the whole thing is just, it makes no sense at all. So he had to be born under that law. And he says this statement though, and this is more of a generalization, and this is where we are, that the heir, as long as he's a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave. In other words, the slaves are serving, the slaves are doing the work, the slaves are cleaning, the slaves are building, the slaves are cooking and and doing all the stuff that it takes to run that household. 
and the slave while he's a child, you really can't tell the difference because mainly he's just working for something that he owns but doesn't yet possess. All of my kids are in, in our will right now. They already own the estate of the Blair family for whatever that's worth so far. <laughs> Their name's in it, but they possess it yet? Not till I'm dead, I still need that money right now. I still need that house, I still need the car. I need all the stuff because I'm still alive. There's gonna come a day that they'll possess what they own and that's when they inherit it. So we too, we are, we are working in a kingdom right now. This is our co-mission. We are advancing the kingdom of heaven and the earth. Notice in the Great Commission, it doesn't say all authority is given me in heaven and earth, therefore I want you to go rule over all the nations. Do you know what paradise is like? Everybody has authority and nobody has authority over anybody else. Do you know the best form of government? No government. Because the people don't need a government. As long as people need a government, I'm grateful we have one. I'm glad we have people with guns to keep people from killing everybody. It's not the Wild West. I'm grateful that we have government for now, but that when paradise is restored, no government. We're all ruling and reigning with Christ Jesus. What are we ruling and reigning over? See, now I don't want to get off on that. You'll have to search the scriptures or come to Wednesday nights and put that in as a question for Wednesday night. Well, we're going to rule over then. Um, so they already went ahead. Revelation shows us from the heavenly perspective what's already in the earth. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take this book and break its seals. For you were slain. You purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And what are they gonna do? You've made them to be a kingdom and priest to their God and they will reign upon the earth. There is gonna be a day that we reign upon the earth. Not the righteous to rule over sinners, not the righteous to restrain anything from happening, but just as it was in the garden when God said, be fruitful and multiply and what? Have dominion. Have dominion over what? Over all the works of my hands. It'll be just like it was in paradise. Included in that, by the way, at this time of the fallen angels, at that time it'll include all the rest of the angels that they, I don't understand how it's gonna work, enough to say anything right now. So for now, this period of his story, this period of history, the period we're living in until the return of the Lord, we can call training for reigning. That's what we used to call it in the children's ministry when we were teaching our discipleship class with our young kids. We're training you for reigning. We're not training you to be servants all of your life. You're not slaves. God doesn't need slaves. He's got angels and they're much better at everything. They really are. They do whatever he says and they're in a flash. They're from heaven to Mary's room, you know, and, and, and they always do what he says. They don't fail. They don't fall short in doing it. They're, they're so much better servants than we are. But why do we serve? Why do we do all of the things that we do in this life? Because of being trained, because you don't want anybody in leadership who hasn't learned how to serve. Now we'll dig into that in David's life to be sure. So I wanna read you a story today in 1 Samuel about how, how, how not to do it. Turn to 1 Samuel 15. We, we saw already how God chose David, the Lord sought out for himself a man after his own heart, or a man with a heart like his, and the Lord appointed him as ruler over his people. That was after King Saul had already just disobeyed the Lord and he disqualified himself from having a throne that the prophet said, man, God wanted to give you a throne that lasted forever. But he ain't following him. 
He's not looking for a, a separate throne to be set up in the earth. Someone already did that in the Garden of Eden, set up his throne upon the earth, and look at how awful it got as a result. The Lord's not looking for somebody who's got his own mind and agenda and his own heart and way. The Lord's looking for somebody who's gonna bring paradise into the earth because that's always his heart. So what's God's heart? What's a man or a woman after God's own heart who carries his heart? Well, I'm gonna bring heaven into the earth. Everything that God loves, I'm gonna establish in the earth. Everything that God hates, I'm gonna drive out of the earth. That's, that's what a man after God's own heart means. So ruling in the kingdom of heaven is impossible without carrying the heart of the king of kings. If we get nothing else out of David's life, this is it. The reason why David, as I shared uh, uh, last week, why Jesus incarnate, when the son of God would take on flesh and become Jesus of Nazareth, not just the eternal son of God, he would say, the angel would say, he's gonna sit on the throne of his father, David. There's something about David's life that God said, now that's a throne I could sit on. Every other throne, I don't care how big an empire they ruled over, I'm not interested in any of those, but David, oh, now that, that man, he established my heart in the earth, and it was something about the way he did it. I could sit on that throne and not feel like, oh man, this is weird, I don't like it here. So that's, so we've got to, if we're gonna carry his authority, we're gonna carry his word and his kingdom into the earth, we have got to first have his heart. That's the most important thing. So. I'll uh, turn to 1 Samuel 15. Oh, I should have brought my glasses up here. I done got one of these geriatric font-sized Bible and now it's not. All right, verse seven. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. Now that was God's commission. God told him, Saul, take the army. I want you to wipe out all the Amalekites. Don't leave anything alive, not even their sheep and goats and oxen, everything. I want them wiped off the face of the earth. That would be a good Wednesday night question. Why would God do that to a nation? Well, we'll see a little bit of that in a minute. But that, that's a good question, but not for this message. So Saul defeated them. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Vince, you can keep up with me if you want while I'm reading through those scriptures. Verse nine, but Saul and the people spared Agag which, and the best of the sheep, oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were not willing to destroy them utterly, which is what God told them to do, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. So this is gonna be eight reasons why Saul failed to have a throne that lasted forever. Why Saul, although remember we looked, this is one of those questions about the will of God. God said through the prophet, it, you could have had, it was God's desire to give you a throne that would endure forever, but you didn't obey. So now God's gonna find somebody who will. Somebody who will establish a throne that can endure forever. So today's gonna be eight things that disqualified Saul from having that. And we're gonna see, you know, sometimes it helps to have a bad example. Anybody ever serve under a boss that was just really, really rough to work for? <laughs> I mean, if you haven't, you just haven't had a job yet or <laughs> I don't know, or something, I don't know. All of us have had supervisors, bosses, leaders in some way that it was hard to work for them. Now we could take that and go home and complain every day and all day like You know the whole thing about murmuring, right? 
They murmured in their tents in the wilderness with Israel. Murmuring is onoma- it's an onomatopoeia. You know what that means? A word that sounds like what it says. So murmuring something. Murmur, 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 murmur. And we could do that. We could serve in a place we don't like the boss. We don't like the work we're doing. We don't like murmur, 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 murmur. That's what it sounds like to everybody around us, by the way. You know that, right? To us, it sounds like perfectly, hey, man, I know you're going to be on my side after I complain for a few more minutes. And you're going to empathize with me and sympathize with me for what an awful lot I've got that I have to work in this place. And your friend's just going, man, are you done now? Can we talk about the Eagles? You know, anything but this. <laughs> now, a loving friend will patiently wait and a good friend will say, okay, now what are we going to do about that as we turn our hearts to the Lord right now? But that's another message for another day. That's what good friends do. They don't go, oh man, that's, let me tell you five more reasons why you should really be mad at your boss right now. That's not a good friend. Run, flee from those friendships if you want to grow up in Christ. Or if you just want to grow up, period, just stay away from people that do that. So number one reason why Saul failed, first of all, he was not willing to submit himself completely to God. It says that they were not willing to destroy them. First thing that we've decided in life is Jesus is not just our savior. He's not just our lover. He's not just our, you know, our hero, all the other things, not just our teacher, but he's our Lord. And somebody said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So the first thing, if we wanna be those who bring the kingdom, we wanna be those who are qualified in the best sense of that word, we're, we're all saved. We're already qualified for eternal life. Now it's a matter of how much of the kingdom do we want to experience and manifest while we're still here living this life? That's what this question's about. He was not willing to submit himself completely to God. The, uh, people ask, well, how do I hear the voice of God? Or people ask me, how, I want to hear and understand the scriptures better. I'm going to tell you the first quality for really understanding and hearing the voice of God, understanding the word of God as written, is a predetermination, I'm going to do whatever it says. If I disagree with it, I'm going to say I was wrong, it's right. That's, that's, that's the first key to understanding the word of God. Well, I've submitted to it already, even the parts I don't get, especially the parts I don't like. Anybody else read through the Bible and you wish that God would see things your way? There's a, I mean, come on. There's some things, man, I wish I was God. Not anymore, I don't. I've just tasted just a little bit of leadership enough to know, no, I don't want to be God. <laughs> Man, I can't even handle a little bit he's, he's given me. Forget God, that's, that's insane. He wasn't willing to submit himself completely to God. Okay, let's pick up in verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me. You good, Vince? Can you, uh, you good to follow along? All right. Um, he turned back from following me and he has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. So Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, to meet Saul, and uh, he said to him, and Saul said, uh, or Samuel came out to Saul, and Saul said, to, no, I just jumped a verse. Verse 12, Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told, it's a little fuzzy now. My eyes, it's just a little fuzzy. I'm gonna keep more reading glasses up here on the, on the table. Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he got up, and it was, <laughs> good Lord, I should have somebody read for me. That's what happened. 
Oh, it's bigger on that. That's like 38-point font. That's what we need. Samuel rose early in the morning. Don't give me your reading glasses. <laughs> you know, I did that to an umpire once. and <laughs> Samuel rose early in the morning. Is it going to work? No, that's, I'm sorry, it's the wrong prescription. <laughs> Thank you, though. You just wanted to see me what I would look like with those on. I know you. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Then he turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. You know, sometimes I feel sorry for Saul, and then I read things like that. I'm like, all right, you know what? God saw something in you. That's why he rejected you so quickly. We looked a little bit last week. Man, Saul, it seems like David got away with murder, literally. And Saul was rejected from being king because he made a sacrifice too soon. But now we start seeing what was in him. We see what God saw that circumstances brought into the light. That's why David's journey was so intense. There are things in all of us that life circumstances are the only way to draw that out and deal with it as it comes. So he set up a monument for himself. Why did Saul fail? Well, that's a no-brainer, I think, on that one. He thought that his acts of valor were because of his own gift and strength. And he forgot, uh, and he just wanted to be honored before the people. Somehow he got to thinking that God set him in as king. If you read Saul's story, I hope you did, I urged you to. Saul was anointed king and he didn't even want to be king. He was hiding behind the bags on the day of his coronation and everybody said, he's a king. I feel bad for the guy because he was only king because the people said, oh, we need a king so that he could go out and fight our battles for us. We need a king so that you know, he could represent us and, and just like all the other nations have a king and this poor guy got stuck with it. He started out great. He started out humble. He started out using, you know, it was God's power. He started driving back the enemies. He started gathering a nation. And all of a sudden, he says, ah, maybe I did belong as king. Maybe, you know, I was, maybe I was a little bit of false humility there. I, apparently, I got it. Yeah, baby. So he didn't even finish doing what God told him to do, and he built a monument for himself. Then he went down to Gilgal, which is the place of, sanct, uh, of sacrifice. It was the place of being sanctified to the Lord. Gilgal was like the cross. Gilgal in the Old Covenant, that city represents what the cross means to us, the place of consecration, rolling back the reproach of what we used to be. And he had the nerve, having disobeyed God, to build a monument for himself and then go down and start making a sacrifice in the place as if you know, his ministry was now on par with God's deliverance out of Egypt. And that's what he was saying by going to Gilgal. So he thought, he forgot. It's not about... Uh, us, no matter what we are, no matter how successful we ever get, no matter how anointed we ever become, no matter what gifts begin to flow out of us, whether in business, in church, or anywhere, whether they're gifts of the Spirit or gifts of grace, whatever the gift is, it's never because we could do it without the Lord. We never forget that we cannot do it without the Lord. We'll see more of that in just a moment. So where are we now? Now we're coming up on verse um, 13, right? Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, hey, blessed are you of the Lord. I carried out the command of the Lord. I believe he thought that with all of his heart. I carried out the command of the Lord. And Samuel said, well, why am I hearing, and <laughs> why am I hearing this bleeding of sheep and the lowing of oxen? It'd be funny if I were doing this, if I were like on the chosen filming crew and we were doing this scene right here, he would say, I fulfilled the command of the Lord. Meh. 
That's how that would be. I mean, he's literally saying, I did exactly what God said, and he did not exactly what God said. <laughs> so Saul said, they, Samuel said, why am I here in the lowing of oxen? And then Saul said, they brought, they have brought them, you hear that? From the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, not my God, the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Done throw the whole nation under the bus. Why do we have all this stuff here? Because the people did that. But I led the people into really doing what God said to do. Number three reason why Saul failed was because he shifted blame for his own failures onto those he was responsible to lead. I didn't do what God said, but as long as I have a scapegoat, long as the people think somebody else is responsible for my failure, then all's good. Remind you of anybody in the Bible? Does it remind you of like the first man ever to live? They ate from the tree, Adam right there with Eve. God comes and confronts them about it after finding them hiding behind a bush. Hey, what, uh, Adam? What's, what's going on here, buddy? Did you eat from that tree I told you not to? Oh, the woman you gave me ate. Only two other people in all creation. The woman you gave me. Not my fault, your user's fault. I would have been fine without her. Why'd you give me, you know, he threw her right under that bus. A leader who throws the people under the bus is no leader at all. Leadership, and who's called to leadership again? That's right. You may not want to raise your hand, but you are. The world's looking. Why do you think the world gets so offended when Christians don't live up to what we believe? They want a leader. The world wants someone to lead into paths of righteousness. Show us what heaven looks like. Lead us into something more meaningful than this life we've got right now. And the world's looking for leaders. So a leader who's willing to say, look, I'm, willing, I'm gonna shift the blame. I like the kind of leader. God's looking for the kind of leader. The proper kind of leader is the buck stops here. The buck stops here. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mama, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. Right? It's not everybody else. I'm the one right now. I'm taking responsibility for my decisions. It's not my parents' fault. I am the way I did the thing I did. It's not my brother's fault I did the thing I did. It's not my boss's fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my husband's fault. It's me. I'm taking ownership of it. I failed to do what the Lord called me to do. Now that's leadership, that's ownership. So he shifted blame. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, wait, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night, because dude, you keep talking and I'm gonna, I'm gonna smack you or something. I, you gotta understand Samuel, well, if you know this story already, you know what he did to Agag at the end of the chapter. So he's got that bubbling up underneath while they're having this conversation. And here's this leader being completely feckless and weak and saying it's everybody else's fault that I didn't do. The king, I didn't do what the Lord said to do. So here's Samuel, he's bubbling over. Samuel said, wait, 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 let me tell you what the Lord said last night. The king said, all right, tell me. Samuel said, is it not true though you were little in your own eyes that you were made the king over the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed you king over all Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission. How many of you are on a mission right now? Do you not know we are all sent on a mission? Who gets to decide what the mission is? God does. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, therefore, 
You always look for why the therefore is therefore, right? Jesus has all authority. He's the only one that we submit to. Go. We're on a mission. And said, go and utterly destroy the sinners of Malachites. Fight against them till they're exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but you rushed upon the spoil and you did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, which is to say, you did what was right in your own eyes. You did what was right in your own eyes. Why did you do it? Because you forgot something. You were little in your own eyes when I found you, the Lord just said to him. Remember, and you were, it wasn't just your own eyes, you were right. I put you in, I anointed you king over Israel. And you forgot about that. You forgot where you came from. You forgot where I found you. Now suddenly, because you won some victories, you're building monuments to yourself, and you're acting as though you could do this without me? Well, that's not, I can't build the kingdom of heaven on that kind of leadership. I can't build the kingdom on heaven of heaven on somebody who thinks it's all about me. It's all about me, Jesus, right? No, it's not. It's all about you. We are his body. We're in him, hand in hand with him. It's all about him. He forgot where he came from. So he goes on. Man, I don't know how, but this prophet's got more patience than Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. Man, he'd done arguing with a prophet that the scripture says this word never falls to the ground. He's got the gall. Well, he's king, right? He just built a monument to himself. Oh, I can argue with God now. You know that's a dumb idea, right? <laughs> just, just saying, even though we all do it. It's a dumb idea and we all do it. Don't even look at me like that. You know you do too. Argue with God. No, no, no. I did obey the voice of the Lord. And I went on the mission for which the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, in the same sentence. He didn't even take a breath. God said, wipe them all out. I did obey the Lord, and I brought one back. <laughs> you know the problem with deception, right? It's so deceiving. <laughs> That's the, the, if you're deceived by virtue of the fact that you're deceived, it means you don't know you're deceived. If you've been lied to, but you know you've been lied to, you haven't been deceived. But if you're deceived, you're all in, and you believe a lie is the truth. That's where, by the way, we can have patience with the world out there that is deceived. Because, yeah, there's some decisions that are made, but the compassion can come when we recognize you're doing this right now because you believe with all your heart that what you're doing is true. Now let me apply some weapons of warfare which are not carnal but are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds to your life to help you see the truth and maybe you'll turn away from this path you're on. So, that's a freebie. I did obey the voice of the Lord. I brought back Agag, but the people took some of the spoil just to make sure you didn't catch it, in case you didn't catch it the first time. The people brought this stuff back. The sheep and the ox and the choices of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. What did Saul do? He took his disobedience and made it like it was worship. I didn't do what you said because I had a better idea. I know you wanted to wipe them all out, but, but you didn't think this through, God. Because, you know, we're going to have to have a victory celebration of some sort. And, you know, where are we going to get the stuff to sacrifice to you? I mean, you don't expect to use our oxen and sheep for a sacrifice, do you? Like an offering of thanks? Surely you don't mean that after we did such a really great thing for you, that now you're asking us to sacrifice something? Surely you can't mean that. I must have misheard the instructions. 
I assume that the laughs are nervous laughs. Because <laughs> we all do that too, don't we? What Saul did was he redefined, he redefined God's word and call, turning his failure to obey into an act of obedience, and then he had the nerve to call it sacrificial worship. You know the response. You know what the prophet said. If you are old enough to remember Keith Green, or if you weren't in Christ like me and married somebody who was all into Keith Green, then you know to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money, I want your life. Oh, I got that song in my head right now. You should listen to it when you get home. It's powerful. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. It's like witchcraft. Rebellion. Insubordination, which means not submitting, putting myself out in front of the Lord is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, oh, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your, your words because I feared the people and I listened to their voice. Now we're getting down to it. I did transgress, you're right. And here's why. Because I was more afraid of the people I was more afraid of my reputation. I was more concerned about what everybody else thinks about me than what you think about me. And you called me to do something that uh, you know, I, I, I found a way that I thought maybe the people would be pleased with more. And so I went and did it. And this is a rare moment of honesty for him. And you almost, if you, have, if you don't know the rest of the story, you almost feel like, oh, this might be a moment that he's gonna soften himself, fall on his face, and do like a Psalm 51 moment where knowing God, now I'm speculating, this is extra biblical speculation, I, not the Lord, okay, we're all clear. I wonder sometimes if he would have just gotten on his face and said, I have sinned against God. I've glorified myself. I've become my own God unto myself. God, please forgive me. Would you restore me to your presence? Would you just remember me? I don't care if you take the kingdom away from me. What matters to me right now is that I've offended you and I've misrepresented you, and I've become a God unto myself. I wonder if God would have looked at him as he did for so many other kings down the road and said, you know what? I've seen your repentance. You can, you can finish out your reign as king. I wonder. But instead, we'll see what he did next. He, feared, he failed because he feared the people more than he feared God. So the next verse, coming up on verse 25 now, goes on, now therefore... Pardon my sin and return with me that I might worship the Lord. That sounds good. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you've rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord's rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. You know how sometimes, um, well, if you're a parent, you've experienced this and we all did it, hopefully just when we were kids, but you repent and if you don't get what you want, you're right back to where you were before you repented, which is no repentance at all. That is a sorrow, which is a manipulative kind of sorrow, because if I express sorrow right now, maybe I won't lose the thing I'm about to lose because of what I did. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying not to make eye contact with anybody. And certainly not any kids in this room or anybody who's under authority, but it's manipulative to express remorse for something 
and then take it back if we don't get what we want. If that becomes a pattern in our lives, that, that's narcissism down the road. That is a pattern of learning how to manipulate people to get what you want. And it's not helpful at all. It's, a, it's an awful way to go about life and using people like that. And it looked for a moment like Saul was gonna give a genuine repentance till he did this, I'm sorry. And then Samuel said, all right, you might be sorry and you might wanna go worship now, but God's made up his mind. He's taken the kingdom from you. Then watch what happens. He tears his robe. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who's better than you. And the glory of Israel won't lie or change his mind. He's not a man that he should change his mind. And then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of the people and you know, go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Here we are. Still not my God, the Lord your God. Samuel went back and, and Saul did worse of graciously. He said, okay, I'm gonna do this for the people's sake, but God's not changing his mind. His repentance was superficial. All he really cared about now was, will the public still receive me as their king? Am I gonna lose my reputation? Will I lose my position? Will I lose my office? That's what matters to me. And, and, and Samuel, you, you gotta come back with me and make a public show I want you to appear with me before the people so they don't know that I'm a hollow king, that I've already been, uh, I'm already ruined, that my, my throne is not gonna last. But don't let the people know that because I quite enjoy living in the palace and I quite enjoy being able to build monuments for myself. I'm really, I'm more concerned about my position. He was concerned more about his public perception than about his connection with God. All right, so that's eight things just out of one that one story, and I urge you to read it over because uh, David, you know, this is a how not to do leadership. And sometimes we need that. Not for the sake of judgment. I hope you don't now, you know, look at this and maybe look at people who have authority in your life and say, oh yeah, well, they failed. I could give you 12 reasons why, you know, my boss or whatever, my parents should be rejected from their throne. That's not the purpose of this. It's the purpose so that we don't become like that. These things, 1 Corinthians 10 says, are written for our instruction as a warning to us so that we won't follow in the footsteps of the rebellious. So we'll follow in the footsteps of the lovers of God, the ones who say, man, no matter what my life becomes, I'm all in you. No matter what happens, I am in you. The entire purpose of maturing in Christ is to learn how to carry his authority with his heart. God's not looking for children to rule and reign in the earth anymore. You know, when the prophet Isaiah said, and a little child shall lead them, that wasn't, I mean, children's pastors use that all the time, say, see, we gotta put the kids out there. That, that's not what it means. It means you're gonna have people in leadership positions who are so immature, they're gonna think it's all about them, and they're gonna make your life miserable. Because a toddler who actually is in charge of a house, I mean, we've all experienced moments where the toddlers take charge. They're good, they're amazing at it. Something two feet high all of a sudden is in charge of the entire family dynamic. But you hope that as we grow, you get to be 20, it's not cute anymore. You get to be 30, it's less cute. You get to be 40, we got issues. Especially if you have influence, right? So we expect, we, we wanna learn to carry his authority, but only if we have his heart. 
and that's the process. So David endured a lengthy, maybe 10-year wilderness experience. That's gonna be most of the next few weeks. We're gonna look at all the hurdles that David overcame. The enemy tried to trip him up all these different ways, and he's no different with us today trying to find ways to trip us up, get us off track in our call, make us fall on our face to the point where we quit before we get to the throne. David's got at least maybe a 10-year journey from the day he's anointed until he becomes king, maybe longer than that, and we don't don't really know the time so well uh, of it, and it's, it's harrowing. He's gonna have spears thrown at him. He's gonna be hunted down like an enemy of the state by the same people that he led in battle. He's gonna be like the, his name would be Mud in Israel after being the hero of Israel. It was an excruciating experience. He nearly lost everything on many occasions. Why? Because God wasn't looking for King Saul II. King Saul became a king with no process. He was just in a day, he went from looking for his dad's donkeys to being king of Israel. Just like that. No process, no preparation, no internal work. And his weakness got exposed rather quickly. It was maybe in his first 10, uh, most 20 years into his reign that all these things happened. And he, he collapsed quickly under the weight. God wants us to be able to carry his glory, which in the Hebrew is to say his weightiness, if you've experienced the presence of God come on you, it feels heavy, uh, you know, not, not in a 60s way, like, well, it's really heavy. I mean, like, it feels like you're carrying something. It's why people fall down when the Lord falls on them sometimes, because you just can't stand anymore. It just feels so heavy. He wants to train us. He wants us spiritually to be so fit and ready for it that we can handle his glory in a way that doesn't destroy us. I've got books on my shelf about great leaders, people that were powerfully used of God. They're called God's generals. Powerfully used of God, but they didn't have the internal structure of the character of Christ, of the the grace of God, all of the integrity of heart. And, And many of them collapsed under the weight of the anointing and the grace. God's not into that with us. And so we all, he takes us all through a process. For some, it's more excruciating than others by whatever measure you choose to use for that. But all of us need to endure a process. All of us are gonna have things happen in our lives, not because God's punishing us and beating us like some mean old football coach. Although sometimes he does come to us like that and it's good, but because he loves us too much to see us collapse under the weight of the very thing that he birthed us for, the very thing he created us for. So how did David do it? He succeeded because he walked in authentic intimacy with God. Back to having his heart. This is the only quality that matters. All the other gifts he can add, character will be worked into us because we carry his heart, because we walk in intimacy with him. All of those things, you understand, we're not responsible to produce the fruit of the spirit by our own works. That's, that's a contradiction of terms. Fruit means the natural byproduct of something being alive. I've got an apple tree in my yard. I don't know how to make it bear fruit. It's rotten or something. But it's supposed to make apples. All it's got to do is get water and nutrients and sun and and it does its thing. And that's what fruit means. So, So we're not called to produce all of that. The bottom line, this is like the footings for the foundation of our lives. The thing that even holds the foundation together is walking in authentic intimacy. That's how David did it. And whenever he stayed in that place, he thrived and succeeded. 
He had some epic failures. As a matter of fact, his most epic failures came after he got to the throne, which can be harder than fighting for your life. And we'll get into that when we get there. He valued God's presence above all else. When he sinned, and when the prophet came to him and said, hey, you're the man. You know, in the Bible, when it says you're the man, it's not how we use it today. Because he tricked David into a, with this little story about, oh man, that guy needs to be punished. He goes, well, uh, that's you. You're the man. And when he heard that, he got alone with God and wrote Psalm 51. And that is the most classic psalm of repentance that there is. It is the model for what repentance looks like from somebody who walks hand in hand with God, who understands that everything about my life, from what I do to who I am, happens because I walk like this with my beloved. That I'm his beloved and he is mine and we walk like this together. So when David fell into sin, he didn't say, oh God, would you make sure that the people don't know about this, could you somehow try to, could we cover this up, could we keep it on the down low, just between me and the prophet, you know, don't, don't tell anybody else in the house, don't, don't tell my other wives, oh, that'll be miserable, just, just keep it between us, no, David wrote a song to commemorate the day for all ages, and in it he said, don't cast me away from your presence, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, anything but that, take the kingdom, take everything I've got, but, but, but keep this. I've got to walk hand with hand with you. That's the key to it all. Let's stand to our feet and pray. Father, we stand before you as those who have all sinned, who have all fallen short of your glory. We stand before you as those who sinned before you found us, and drew us out of miry clay and set our feet on a rock. And we stand before you as those who sinned after you called us. And we rejoice that in your foreknowledge, you chose us knowing all of those things. So I pray that today you would seal into our heart. Lay your hands on your heart with me, would you? Would you burn into our heart and set yourself as a seal upon it? Write your name on our heart as we already know our names written in your book and on your heart and keep us close. Lord, I pray that you would make our heart break, absolutely burst at the thought of living separated from you ever again, at the thought of even having so much as the thinnest of veils between us and you. Would you make our heart absolutely broken over even a sense that we've been cast away from your presence as if you would do that, or your Holy Spirit was taken away from us as if you'd ever do that. I pray you'd birth in us a desire for your presence and a desire for that intimacy you born again, born us again for that will never fade. Amen. Hallelujah. I love you guys.